Hello and welcome to NF Teach. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy. Really excited to get into this episode where I am joined by Matt Mendy, the CEO of Heavy Metal. And we're going to talk uh, all things Web3 um, with a, a really brilliant CEO and creative. So I don't feel like I have to set it up much more than that. Without further ado, let's jump into it with Matt Mendy. Fine wine has long been a cornerstone of wealth generation and preservation. The problem? Historically, it's been reserved for the ultra-wealthy. VinoVest is changing that. If you know me, you know I'm always looking for the next big player in the industry. I was amazed at how easy it was to get started in diversifying your investment portfolio. Wine has one-third the volatility of the stock market and has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualized returns, proving that the returns can be as robust as your favorite red. VinoVest makes it easy to acquire new investments equipped with a team of world-class sommeliers who evaluate wine and determine which ones will gain value over time. You own the wines in your portfolio outright. You can buy, sell, and even drink them whenever you want. Go to zen.ai slash nfteach to receive two months of fee-free investing on VinoVest. Be sure to mention that NFTeach is helping you save on two months of management fees. It's time to start investing with VinoVest today. Joining me on the Aspen guest line is none other than Matt Medney, the CEO of Heavy Metal. Matt, welcome to NFT. It's really good to have you. What's up, man? I'm excited to be here. Let's talk about the future. Let's do it. Uh, and, and you wear many hats. I mean, you are the CEO, but you're also the lead creative, you know. Um, and so I think it'd be helpful first to, if people have never heard of the brand Heavy Metal, Let's just set it up a bit for people and talk about what heavy metals place within science fiction has been for, I don't know, even the, the past 40, 50 years. Yeah. So first, if, if you aren't familiar with the brand, then first, you're welcome for all the science fiction <laughs> that you've uh, enjoyed over the last, you know, 40, 50 years. Um, you know, the quick the quick boilerplate is Alien, Blade Runner, Fifth Element, Mad Max. Those all originated, inspired by the brand in the original 81 movie called Heavy Metal or from the pages of the magazine. Uh, and then uh, you can you can find clips from Ridley, Scott, Taika Waititi, Guillermo del Toro, Chris Columbus, Damon Lindelof, John Favreau, James Gunn. The list goes on as to the most consequential directors of today talking about how heavy metal is their singular inspiration for the weird, the outspoken, the 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 absurdity that needs to seep through genre to really make it sing. And that that is kind of the melting pot that heavy metal has been and the 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 de-shackling of corporate creativity. Yeah, oh, wow. Um and so, you know, the Web3 space, um, it's a really interesting time to be in the Web3 space, but, you know, obviously Heavy Metal has made the decision that they're going into into Web3 with Metal Plus. So um, why don't you set up Metal Plus and then we'll talk about why Web3 after that. Totally. And, and, I, and I love that you're calling it Web3 and not calling it about NFTs or any of these other things, because I'm a firm believer that Web3 and blockchain technology and and the evolution of the internet is 
the obvious thing that happens to all technology. Uh, it is really a shame that te technology has been politicized, but at no point do I think we should be thinking about the internet of anything other than technology. And technology always needs to iterate and technology always needs to become more efficient. And one of the key things that is starkly obvious to anyone who looks under the hood of the internet is authentication. There is very little ability for me to authenticate even that the email that I'm getting came from you. And, or if we're going into the Web3 blockchain space, that a piece of digital art is actually owned by me. I can take a picture of the Mona Lisa, get that printed on a G clay, and you may or may not know if that's the original. What Web3 and the vision of blockchain has created is a marketplace for digital art to be authenticated and owned in the place in which humanity spends the most time. Simply put, that to me is really exciting. And Metal Plus is creating a space for comic books to be actually owned by their readers. Other online uh, systems, Comixology, um, library s digital portals have you rent the product from their main server metal plus lets you drop your book right into your metamask wallet lets you pay with stripe or with crypto and we provide a reader that you can read it with but if metal plus goes out of business you still own that digital asset which you can't say is true with any other exploration of digital publishing currently yeah, so you've set up well, you know, why heavy metal would be interested in in this provable ownership. How did you get your personal interest into to this technology? Um, you obviously have an extensive creative background, Matthew. So I'm just, you know, wondering how you stumbled upon all of this personally um, as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the biggest issue with all new things is that we live in a time of abundance where always there are new things. And sometimes when you get that level of input, it's hard to weed through what's real and what's sort of a, a sheep in fox clothing. And for about six months in 2019, I had a lot of inquiries about what we were gonna be doing in regards to NFTs. I was very adverse to diving into that technology at that time because I just wasn't sure. And that's the straight up honesty. And then I learned that for about a decade now, Starbucks has been using blockchain technology for their gift cards. And Ed Hardy and their conglomerate company has been using blockchain technology for supply chain, for how they print their shirts and how they record the um the ledger of what's been done and that sort of opened up a a bell in my brain because when you start finding out that businesses are using a technology on a b2b basis that sort of starts following a tried and true pipeline of how all technology through all time is adopted everything from the computer to the internet and now to blockchain 
always gets tried and true and adopted first by businesses because businesses don't really care about anything other than being efficient and making more money. So if a technology can provide that as a tenant, then they're going to use it. And if I'm seeing massive companies like a Starbucks, like an Ed Hardy adopting this technology, it makes me realize that the technology is sound and that becomes really interesting. And so in early 2020, we did our first collection of NFTs with Curio, which is an online platform. And I started realizing the power of being able to sell an authenticated piece of digital art into a world in which art has been manipulated and used in a way that only benefits the end seller and does not benefit the journey of artists and creatives to touch that piece to get to that point. And the blockchain and with royalties being able to be split immutably without the need of auditing, without the need of lawyers, with automatic payments going to the various wallets that have been determined prior to any real money changing hands, because greed corrupts all, became really, really interesting as a path to make the creatives take back the power on the art that they're creating. So, so yeah, you, you're kind of in a unique position with your background of, of being at the CEO level, but also having an extensive creative background, because what drew me to the Web3 space was that artists, particularly artists in lesser lesser developed countries and places across the world could sort of participate more equitably in this creator economy, you know, um, where a creative in Uganda could could participate and sell, you know, one without doxing himself or herself, but but also like let the art speak for itself and monetize in this more equitable way. And um, the other thing that jumped out to me when you were speaking was, you know, in that block in that blockchain example with Starbucks and with Ed Hardy, you know, you also didn't realize you were using it. And and you know, I, I think that, that exactly. we're going to jump into that in a little bit because I mean, we both have some pretty strong opinions on you know, how this thing is going to grow in, in scale out. Um, so let's, let's stay with, I, I get why metal plus I get, you know, why heavy metal would be interested in, in this sort of democratization of creativity and, and putting power into creators hands. Um, you know, we're in a place where the market has, you know, taken a, a pretty substantial downturn and people were thinking that the merge was going to, you know, send ETH to 10 K or whatever, um, and, and so I would love to just get your perspective on might've thought that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I would just love to get your perspective on, you know, wh what has been your thesis on the market's evolution since February of 21, when top shot explodes to kind of where we sit in October of 22, it feels like 20 years have passed for those of us who have been here. Um, so I would just love to get your take on like, how do you see the evolution of this market from where it was you know, a little over a year and a half ago to where it is today. So, you know, first to just talk about the merge, I, I think, I think the biggest concern for the market that I have is this, this need by the community for Rome to be built in a day. And I think it's the biggest negative to the entire crypto community, be it the NFT side, the altcoins, 
the blue chip coin. Uh, and, uh, I want to add gaming into that too. Like people have no patience for a game to be developed at all. It, it's it's really unfortunate, and and I think I think it's a little bit because people think that there's no production time when things don't have to be physical. But you know, this technology is more complex than landing somebody on the moon, and that took a lot of time. That took ten years of mishaps of crews incinerating in a in a pod and the will of a government and a nation to get Armstrong and Buzz on the moon. And I think that we need to understand that evolving a technology that contains about four to five billion people using it every day is not something that can happen overnight and not and not something that can happen pretty and and the merge is the best example because that is a long tail reality of making a product more um efficient in the in, in a 6 12 18 24 month viewpoint not something that you're going to feel the the change of the next day um but something that you're going to realize that you know, the energy cost to ETH is now so efficient that you might be able to build a game on it versus having to go to Polygon or creating some side chain to do it. And, and those types of moves are not overnight successes. Those are infrastructural changes that allows other people to build on top of that technology. And I think that we need to be looking at it from that point of view. Secondarily, the market downturn is nowhere near the market downturn of 2017. That is where I think if my memory serves me, ETH was about this price and went down to like maybe $40. It was a pretty stark downturn. Um, Bitcoin went from about 20 to I think 2,500. Um, there were some pretty big changes. And this downturn is not even close to half as bad. It's a, it's a, you know, it, it maybe went down two thirds versus going down 19 twentieths. So, and, so Matt, sorry. let's stay there for a second. Um, okay. So, you know, a huge difference between 2017 and 2022 is that, you know, we're talking about mainly crypto in 2017. We're talking about NFTs in 2022. So how do you see that cut across and how do you see that differently in terms of how a market affects a, a coin or a token versus how the market affects people's perceptions of, of NFTs, digital art, gaming, uh, all things NFT? Totally. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're also just growing the product offering, right? Um, in 2017, there's speculation of how the technology could work. And now there's proof of work, um, not to confuse terminology, but there's there's actual use cases now of how the technology can be implemented in a successful way. So that creates, I think, more value intrinsically, even on the, the downturn. But the reality is all technology has these sort of roller coaster moments. It's just that most technology does not have a, a stark investment component to it as it's being built. Um, 
And that's why I think we feel it and see it and understand it at a different visceral level. But, you know, it took 15 years for Tesla to make a car that was worthy of being a car. If, if Tesla stock was overhyped in 2012, um, when the Roadster came out, it then I'm sure plunged and then started making its way back up and went down again when they couldn't make the batteries in time. But that's because it's one stock in one vertical. It probably does not have the same global recognition as coins and NFTs and projects that can touch every type of person from different entry points. Um, but technology always goes through roller coasters as it's growing. So, you know, when I buy a physical good, 99.99% of the time, Matt, I, I'm not doing it. I don't go to buy the t-shirt with like the, the really witty saying, or I have this like really badass shirt, uh, that is a wolf. It's like a, it's like an old school wolf pack t-shirt. I'm not buying it because it's going to appreciate in value. I'm buying it because I, I generally like, like it and want to own it. And it seems that there's a huge absence of just wanting to own shit in this digital ownership piece, which, you know, concerns me as someone who's here for the long haul. Uh, and so, yeah. like, I, one, I want to know, you know, do you agree with that statement? Do you think there, there's we're not yet at the, the, the buying stuff? You're treating digital ownership the way that we would treat physical ownership. And then two, you know. If, if you agree with that, then what do you, how do you think it's, we're going to get there at some point? Because, you know, I always bring up the example of Fortnite. When my kids want to buy a skin, they just like it. They just want to buy it because it's cosmetic and it looks cool. They don't even know who Bruno Mars freaking is, but they want this $8 skin to dress, you know, their Fortnite character up. So yeah, Which has do you no agree? value. No value. Right. So, so one, do you agree with my statement? Um, and then two, if so, like, how do we get to the actually, treating this like buying stuff that you really like versus buying stuff for speculation. So a hundred percent agree with your point of view. And I think unfortunately when you create products that can reach more than micro communities, it's almost an inherent reality of any system that's built on a capitalistic principle. Um, it's just an, um, capitalism, as its own idea has many flaws. One of those flaws is profitability above all. And it's hard to counteract that when uh, a system is designed to create capitalism in towns and then cities and then a few businesses, once they've sort of reached a certain level, can be national. When you can bypass that road and create a product that can get national instantly, it, it it sort of creates this this faux pas of how the commerce is supposed to work and then almost leads to these items having to be things that you think about from an appreciation standpoint. Um, but I think that digital assets are just as important as physical assets. We might not be there yet because our walls aren't glass UI screens like they are in Minority Report or any other futuristic technology, but that doesn't mean that we're not spending all of our time on screens. 
And if we're spending all of our time on screens and we know at some point, somewhere in the future, the walls behind us are just going to be screens, then of course your art is going to be digital. And whether we're so far ahead of the curve that that's 20 years out versus 10 years out versus five years out, so be it. But at some point quickly, um, I think there's going to be a an awakening as to digital assets are just these really cool items that we can enjoy digitally. Now, where I think there can be appreciation is I think a decentralized internet blockchain enabled where IP can be shared through the idea of me creating a collection and saying anyone that buys this collection has the right to do whatever they want merchandise merchandise uh, to merchandise that art that becomes also really interesting i i love the decentralization from the point of view of creating a community that can all own a variation of an ip and then find ways for them to monetize that together it's that to me like on an actuality of what the board apes did, not necessarily their business, not necessarily what's happening right now with the FCC, but solely from the point of view of that they created a collection with 10,000 variants and told that community, go make whatever you think is cool. And we all rise together. That- and, and Matt, even before that, they they to your point about becoming national instantaneously, they made a streetwear brand a month after they made it. I mean, and they were selling hats on eBay for two thousand, three thousand dollars. Um, yeah. So, you know, they became supreme yes. in in a month, um, yes. which is is insane. Yeah, it, exactly. And I think that that to me is the real value of what the blockchain web three space can do is when you create a small business or when you create a a business, maybe not even small anymore, there's two parts of a brain that need to happen. You need to have really cool creative and you need to be really cool business savvy. And then there's this, the X factor, which is you need to be relevant and it's not, difficult for an entrepreneur to master two of those three things to master all three becomes the unicorn product if a web three initiative can create a check mark unilaterally on the awareness and then really allow it to be business savvy people who have inspiration around creative you've just allowed people who might have failed before to actually create a sustainable business for themselves and not be tied down to the shackles of corporate America. And that is wildly exciting to me. You mentioned the, you know, the ability to um, take your small business and and grow it exponentially, extremely light, light speed, uh, no pun intended on, on, on how it grows and scales. I'm curious to, to dig into your perspective on community and from, from the, the sight line of, I see community treated in a variety of ways uh, from from NFT projects or um, established brands. But, you know, when you bring up that board ape example of the community building 
their own vehicles, their own storytelling mechanisms. You got Jenkins, the valet, and you have all this stuff happening. That's like, it's just like, you know, you're unleashing creativity. Um, how does that translate to established brands where their intellectual, you know, Budweiser has never given people license to make whatever they want, you know, with, with their, their brand or with their IP and sort of from an, an established CEO perspective, how do you view the way that brands are currently treating intellectual property and, and the way that maybe they should, if you think they're not treating it the right way right now? Totally. You know, I mean, I think what Nike's doing with the Clonex is, is really forward thinking. Um, we have a project on Flow called The Analogs that we give away all the rights to. You go do whatever you want with it. Um, I think that for established brands, it needs to be thoughtful. Um, you can't just let people use, um, you know, the Budweiser logo. I mean, especially when you have, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're, we're in a society where you have a publicly traded company and you have responsibilities to those investors and you have to be respectful of the institutions that have been created around our businesses. But that doesn't mean you can't create experimental sub-brands that tie back in to the, the main brand that is very overtly understanding that that's what that is. And I think that's what Clonex is doing, you know, better than anybody else in this space in regards to Nike. They, they really understand how to leverage an institutional brand and then create a product that is native to this community to figure out how to have that expression here. I think what Adidas did with Bored Apes is another perfect example of how you can leverage an institutional brand into Web3. Um, you know, Elon Musk has a really interesting point of view on patents. He thinks they're useless. He thinks that patents are just a way for people to scheme money from other people. And, and, and if you actually look at it, every single patent on Tesla uh, batteries was actually like foregoed about five years ago because Elon was like, we all need to be on clean energy. I'm like disemboweling these patents so that everybody can understand how this technology works because the growth of an industry is predicated on people building together, not building in silos. Yeah. It, and, you know, you bring up some good examples of what people can do and, and the things to be considerate of if an established brand is looking to get in um, like Budweiser, you, you can't, when you have publicly traded companies, I think all of that is, is well and good. You, you made mention uh, a, you know, a couple of questions ago about the SEC involvement within the um, board ape yacht club and yuga it was fascinating i was watching people like tweet i even copy pasted one of these they were tweeting like i hereby declare that i have no instant no knowledge of any institute blah 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 like some like legal disclaimer that they think if they tweet it now like it's it's gonna do something for them which i thought was hilarious in its own right but i just wanted to get your your ideas on what does this mean for the space? The general sentiment seems to be that people think that it's a good step to bring in, in you know, people wanting to learn about, about Web3 in general and that it long-term net-net will be a positive thing. But what was your reaction to that news this week and, and how do you feel about it? For anything, product, technology, utility, 
whatever it is, for it to get mass adoption, it has to go through the furnace of the U.S. government. It's just not going to be a reality to have something adjacent to at the land of the law uh, or the law of the land. And this is a big touch point for all things in the NFT space is what is defined as a security how is it defined as a security and how are we going to rectify that now do i agree that what yuga's done is a security i actually don't know enough of the legal case to have a point of view on the surface i don't think it is i think that if they deem that to be a security then how do you not deem every supreme drop to be a security when somebody goes and buys something for a hundred bucks and they list it on StockX for 900, 10 minutes later, there's no difference between that and the NFT community except physical versus digital. Um, so if, if we're just talking about the fact that they were selling an asset that people understood had an intrinsic um, appreciation to it, that in my opinion is not a security. I do not know any other details to comment on. But we've been having hype clothing and streetwear for a decade now. And there is billion dollar business that is predicated on physical goods effectively becoming appreciable assets. Well, and, and to your point, the, you know, you could be sitting pretty one day and you could say, yes, I have knowledge that this will appreciate. But I mean, look at what happened with the wildness of sushi this week. And, you know, I mean, just couldn't believe my timeline with what I was reading and the sushi swap stuff, but, but, you know, all of a sudden then things dip 50% or 20%. So uh, it, it is a, it is a weird, um, I think a lot of people are watching to see what the SEC is going to determine out of this. But I, I think again, like that, that takes me back to this theme that we've discussed a couple of times, which is how do we, how do we create the ethos of consumerism to not just be for what a speculation or, or a, you know, a speculative value can be, and how do we get the the consumer to buy because they want to, um, without any concern of if it went to zero or not. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'd just be curious to, to come back there one more time with you and, and just say, you know, if you had to say one thing that would happen in this space that would, you know, create the ability to, you know, onboard a bunch of people to the space that aren't participating in it currently, and or get people to buy with a different goal or desire. I'm curious what you think that one lever would pull, you would pull. Um, to me, it's actually very obvious. That lever is, is simply curtains. The fact that the technology and the method of which things have to be purchased, stored, and sold is so undressed technology, um, it makes it feel more of something that it's not. Um, ease of use and curtains to the technology, like what we were talking about with Starbucks and with, um, with Ed Hardy, that we don't even know they're using the technology. When that occurs, when you don't know you're using blockchain, that's when it just becomes an asset that you buy because it's cool and you don't really care about its value. But when you have to jump through hoops and when you have to download a MetaMask wallet and create your safe words and write them down somewhere, 
there's this feeling that you're doing something that is more than just purchasing something for fun. And I think we need to get to a point where the technology is hidden. Um, because I think you and I both agree that within five years at the latest, all our emails are going to be NFTs. If I'm not getting an email that's verified on the blockchain, I have no way of knowing that you sent me that email and, um, and it can be a scam. And right now, you know, thousands, if not millions of people are scammed every day on email and on different things. And there's a very clear and easy way to protect that, Just make the email blockchain enabled technology. And when that happens in the background and you and I just don't see it every day, that's when this just becomes something that you purchase because you enjoy it. Yeah, that's great. Um, we're going to wrap up. Uh, anything you want to mention about Metal Plus upcoming plans, uh, you know, or, or tease us with before we close this uh, this one up here? Yeah, I mean, no, what we're so excited about Metal Plus is creating a different type of offering for our current readers and our future readers and the uninitiated, the people that love everything that heavy metal stands for, but may not have ever heard of the brand. And we're working through a handful of different pricing models that will really make the focus on enjoying the creativity and re and removing the focus of it being an asset. And whether that is some sort of unlimited plan, some sort of price gets you X amount of downloads a month and those become NFTs in your wallet, we really want to de-incentivize the idea that these are assets first and in entertainment second and go back to what comic books and graphic novels have always been, which is enjoyment first, collectible second. And the amount of people that I know that like enjoy the laughing that they had a Spider-Man number one and it's in bad condition now, but they really just have such fond memories of reading that book when it came out and never even thought that that was going to be some sort of asset later on. That's where the value comes in. And by the way, they're also the people that would never sell it either. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, and we want to make these digital collectibles, right? There's no doubt. I don't want to de-emphasize the fact that when you buy a Metal Plus subscription or Metal Plus book, that we're not also providing you a, 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 a product that is going to have limited quantity that will be, a, that will be a collectible, but to be a true collectible in the way that this world is kind of evolved, the collectability aspect should be the secondary response. The first response needs to be that you enjoy the entertainment of the item. And then once you enjoy that entertainment, there's a reason to continue smiling about it rather than the other way around. That's great. Um, one question that I failed to ask that I have to ask is, are there any Web3 sci-fi brands that you've seen come come to life, you know, in the past couple of years that you just go, wow, that's like the creativity of what this group is doing, you know, I, I really like or I think is really impressive. I'm obviously obsessed with the Wanderers. Anyone knows that's listened that like I just believe in what that team creatively is is delivering. So I just want to give you a space to shout out any specific projects that you, you know, from a creative perspective, just go, man, there, there's just some really, really talented individuals working on this. I mean, obviously what the Star Atlas guys are doing 
And, you know, I do have an involvement there as disclosure. Uh, I won't get too deep into that, but the creativity and the ingenuity and the thoughts that that team is imagining the future is just incredible. Um, if you don't know the Star Atlas project, I suggest checking it out. It is really the future of sci-fi in, in just a beautifully elegant way. Perfect. Uh, listen, Matt, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me today. I hope people enjoyed this episode. Hope to have you back on soon as uh, future plans with, with Metal Plus roll out. But uh, I, I'm sure the audience will agree. Really insightful, you know, 40 minutes we've spent together. And thank you so much for joining. No, thank you, man. I had a lot of fun. Uh, if you guys ever want to reach out, it's at Matthew Medney on all social media. Happy to continue conversations. Yep. All that information, folks, will be in the show notes. You know, get in touch with Matthew and, and learn more about what the, the heavy metal team is doing. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Matt Medney, the CEO of Heavy Metal, also the lead creative. Lots of great stuff there. Going to be back with more episodes later this week and into next week. But for now, it's Dr. Jeremy signing off saying take care of yourselves and each other. Peace. Peace.